Hey, good morning to all of you here again, and to those of you who are over in the Modern Worship Service, we are so glad that you are here with us, and if you are one of our guests who are over there, thank you for coming. My name is Paul Jimenez, and you have come at a great, great time. This is the first value of seven values we're going to look at undergirding our mission. Uh, undergirding our mission that we rolled out last week, looking at Jesus as he was on a mountain in Galilee, and just before he left, he said this, here's your job, guys and gals, make disciples. And so let's go ahead and put our mission statement up on the screen. Here's what we uh, unpacked last week, is that Jesus was very, very clear. And throughout the New Testament, we glorify God by making disciples. And Jesus said this, church, here's your vision. Make disciples of all people everywhere to the end of time. That's all I want you to do. And by this you'll glorify God. So we as a church have adopted this mission. Jesus' mission for us. Make disciples of all people everywhere to the end of time. But how are we going to do that? We're going to do that by encountering God, equipping believers, and engaging the world. Encountering God is where we experience God in worship. Equipping believers is where God repairs and prepares us to repair and prepare other people to become disciples and fully devoted followers of Jesus. All of that must result in, otherwise we've missed it, engaging the world. Making disciples as we encounter God, equip believers, and engage the world. Now, Today, value number one, before we jump into it, John chapter four is where we'll be, so you can go ahead and turn to it or turn on John chapter four this morning in both rooms. Before we, we jump into that, just a simple word, why are values important? Values are important because they undergird the mission. The mission I just gave to you, the vision of glorifying God by making disciples, the mission of encountering God and equipping believers and engaging the world. There has to be something that undergirds that mission. Otherwise, it's just on paper, it's on our graphics, it's on our minds, but it never ever reaches ground zero. It never ever takes off from the ground, it becomes simply a mission that's kind of floating out there. So values undergird that mission, give it structure and strength and guide it and keep it moving forward. All right? Now, values is something that for a church is incredibly important. Let, let me read to you just a couple of sentences from Will Mancini in the book Church Unique. And when I read this, I was like, that's it. I just got to share it with our people so they understand as we go through the next seven weeks, why are you spending so much time walking through some of these ideals or motives or values? Here is what Will Mancini says. He says, values are shared convictions that guide the actions and reveal the strengths of the church. It's a guide. It's, it uncovers our strengths. They represent the conscious and collective soul of your church because they express your most deeply held ideals. They define your ministry's ethos or its spirit or its climate, its atmosphere, its temperature. This is what the next seven weeks what we hope to, to define and shape and to elevate. They are filters for decision making and springboards for daily action. 
They are the constant reminders of what's most important to a church. So you see, these are important not just because we want to teach and preach and then be done at the end of May. We want these values to resonate in your mind and in your heart and then work themselves out in daily life, in the life of, of you and your family and the life of this body as we move forward. For example, yesterday I texted Stephen Bryant, who is the operator over at Chick-fil-A there in Cherrydale. And there's a great phrase that the people at Chick-fil-A use. You recognize this phrase. You've gotten used to it. So that when they serve you your food or they take your money, what do they say? It's what? My, it's my pleasure. And so I texted Stephen. I said, I love that phrase. Can you kind of give me a little bit of where does it spring out of? Was that something that Truett Cathy just kind of kind of pulled out of thin air? What, what, what is it? In my mind, I'm thinking these things. Where, where does that come from? And indeed, Truett Cathy did get it from a hotel chain when he heard that. But here is where that phrase that is said to you when you hand your money and you, and you receive your, your chicken sandwich, here's where it comes from. There's the value of customer first. And Stephen said there are five things when he teaches his employees that they need to be reminded of when it comes to customer first. There's honor and dignity and respect. There's appreciation and there's a sense of urgency. And so from those values come this phrase that hits you and strikes a wonderful chord in your heart and in your mind and you know you're honored, you're respected, you like the food and when you come back, you come back because you have been respected and honored. You come back because you've been appreciated and they say that but you learn to expect it and it now has become part of the culture of Chick-fil-A. Because if they didn't say it, you'd grumble and complain. Oh, they missed it that time. <laughs> Do I get a free sandwich now? You didn't say it, right? That's what you're looking for. You know you are. It's part of the culture and it comes out and it just bleeds out. And this is what we wanna do with the next seven weeks. The, the vision to glorify God as we mission make disciples. And we make disciples last week as we saw as we encounter God, equip believers, and engage the world. But now underneath that, value number one, expectant worship. Now why is worship so important? We saw last week the very first thing that the disciples did when Jesus came to them, he was resurrected. They could see his, his wrists, they could see his feet, and they fall down at the resurrected Lord and they worship him. And from there, Jesus says, okay, from this worship now springs the mission. Worship is such a vital part of the body of Christ, and worship is more than just what happens at 9 o'clock or at 10.30 here at Taylor's or whatever hour that you worship in around the world Something happens during that time that we want to talk about, but I, I just don't want to limit it to the worship service. Because what worship is, is more than just a service. It's more than just music. It's more than just preaching, or teaching, or Bible study. I don't know what your expectations are when you come into worship. 
But worship is, is more than just what happens here. It is a lifestyle. It is a heart style, if you will. That apart from church, as we worship God individually, as we come together corporately, as a body, that individual worship feeds what happens here. And it all stems from understanding what happens when we encounter the living God. When we meet him and when we understand who he genuinely is. And he begins to reveal himself. And what happens is we begin to see who we are. And we begin to understand his heart. And we begin to understand our heart. Is it aligned with his heart? And then we begin to walk through and understand what is it that he has for me to do. So that worship is simply not a mood or a feeling or a style, or a song, or a preacher, or an hour, but it's communion with the living God. And when we commune with Him, and when we begin to be transformed by Him, the next step is for us, as we glorify Him, to obey, to willingly yield to Him, to love him. Yes, to worship him as we sing together. But to worship him as we live lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we want to look at that this morning. This is why it's so important. This is why we lead with this. Because we want to encounter God and be transformed by him like the woman in Samaria who Jesus ministered to and taught with and encountered in John chapter 4. If you have your place there, John chapter 4 is this amazing story of an encounter with Jesus. And this woman of Samaria, now, now here's the thing, if you're new to Bible study, Jesus, who is this religious figure, who, who is this Jewish teacher, comes walking into Samaria, a place that he really probably shouldn't be seen in because the Jews and Samaritans hated one another. There was this nasty division between the two to the point where they would walk around, Jews would walk around by the Jordan River and, and go around Samaria. Jesus said, I'm going to go through Samaria. He meets this woman there at, at the well. He's tired. He's been traveling. It's a rest area. It's a place where they come out to get water and he start, strikes up a conversation with this Samaritan woman. So in and of itself, Jesus shouldn't be talking with a woman, as a Jewish rabbi, let alone a Samaritan woman, let alone as a Samaritan woman who had the reputation that she did, as we'll see in just a second. Jesus had no business talking with her according to religious standards, according to the traditions of the day. No business. This woman, on the other hand, as she comes to the well, here is what she is expecting as she talks with Jesus. She begins to understand that he's talking about this water that he wants to give her, water where if she takes this water, she will never ever thirst again. She'll never ever have to come to the well and draw water again, or at least that's what she's thinking. So here as she comes to Jesus, here is what she is expecting. She is expecting nothing but getting her temporary 
physical, short-term needs met. That's all she's concerned about. Now, whether you want to falter for, for not seeing spiritually or not, I don't. Or whether you want to say, you know what, she was just being selfish. Whatever you want to say about this woman, I want you to put yourself in, in her shoes as she meets Jesus and ask yourself, do I come to worship on Sunday morning? Do I come to worship daily with God with the same sort of expectations that the woman at the well did? Really nothing, wanting nothing more from Jesus than simply getting whatever problem or need I'm having fixed. There's nothing wrong with coming with your needs to Jesus. But what is your expectation when you come to worship? Is it this mindset of what can I do to satisfy whatever need is current and present in my life right now? Or whatever need, when I come to church, when I come to a worship service, if they don't do this, or if the pastor doesn't communicate this, or if the song leader doesn't sing this song, then therefore my needs are, are not going to be met. I'm just trying to help us connect with this woman as she encounters Jesus this morning. What are your expectations when you came in this morning to church or did you just not have any at all? Nothing's going to happen. I just got to get through this. And you're already thinking about where to go to lunch. You're already thinking about your nap. You're already thinking about the masters this afternoon. I know many of you guys are. What are your expectations about encountering God? So she comes and Jesus says, I've got this water. Amazing water. And he's talking spiritually. And so she says, okay, Jesus, give me this water. So verse 16, let's pick up the action here. Here's what Jesus says to her. You ready? Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. I perceive Jesus. I perceive that you are this religious figure because how in the world could you look inside my heart and expose me for my sin, my brokenness, my embarrassment, my shame, my being outcast from this community? How could you do that unless you're some sort of religious figure? And here's what I want us to understand this morning as we talk about worship. Whether it's individual worship or whether it's, it, it, it's tonight at 7 o'clock or, or whether it's right, right now as we've worshipped together, as you've worshipped there in the modern worship service. Here, here is the first aspect of expectant worship that I want you to understand is that when we come, when we come to God, there needs to be an understanding that he sees all things, that he knows your heart, that he is almighty God, and that if you truly, if you truly enter into his presence, if you truly come before him, there's this sense that he knows what's inside your heart. He knows the sins 
that you have committed today. He knows the sins you've committed in the past. He knows already the guilt. He knows the shame. He knows the burden. He knows the regret. He knows what is conflicting you. He knows what is embarrassing you. And when we come to worship, for some reason, we think the natural tendency, and it is natural because it's human, the natural tendency is to hide and to conceal. The natural human impulse is to say, I'm okay. The natural tendency is to put a smile on and to keep going. That's what we do. We're good Southerners. We, we just smile and say, bless your heart, bless my heart, and we move forward. But worship, understand this, both at a private individual level and in a, in, a, in, a, in a body like this, when we come and we sing as we've sung today, and as you've sung in the modern worship service, as we sung at 9 o'clock today, we sing about the holiness of God, and we sing about the, the greatness of God, and we sing about, uh, about how powerful He is. And here is what we have to understand, that as we come before Him, He knows the crazy thing about all of our concealing and all of our hiding, you know what the crazy thing is? Who are we fooling? And I care about your heart. I care about your soul. And worship is not designed for us simply to roll through and, and play church and, and just go through the motions. It is designed for your soul to be opened up before the Almighty. And like this woman who thought everything was hidden from this Jewish teacher, God knows. But he calls you in worship. Here's the beautiful thing. He calls you in worship not to run like mice when the lights come on. But when the light of his presence and the light of his glory comes on, you simply bow down before him in confession. You confess. You long for his mercy. And it's there. You long for his grace. And it's there. You long for the, the understanding of, uh, for someone to, to, to know who you are and where you are. Do you realize it's there? And like this woman, you need to come before him and confess. Confess when we sing of God's mercy and God's grace, calling out for him. Is that how we worship? Or do we expect to simply conceal, to hide? Here's the second thing this morning. Submission. Confession for our souls. Submission to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Where do you get that, Pastor? Well, let's keep reading. Here's what Jesus says to, says to the woman. Um, you've had five husbands, and the one you're living with now is not even your husband. <laughs> So, so you're, you're still struggling with this, aren't you? And the woman says, I believe you're a prophet. And, and then she's going to shift gears here. All right, now she's going to get on the religion train a little bit. She's going to go, okay, you're religious. You're peering into my soul here a little bit. She says this, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. 
But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Now here's the, here's the thing about the Holy Spirit. When Jesus comes to this woman and she instantly raises up uh, really a worship war from, from a time past. The, the Jews and Samaritans were, were, didn't like each other. And one of the reasons they really didn't like each other is because the Samaritans believed that Moses was the true prophet and the one to come would be a second Moses. They only believed in the first five books of the Bible. They believed that on Mount Gerizim, where Moses pronounced blessings to the people of God before he died, that that was the mountain upon which they were to worship. So they built temples there. They traced their lineage to Abraham and Jacob, and they built altars in the region. So they said, this is where we worship. This is how we worship. This is the correct form of worship. And the Jews would say, no, 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 no. You've got it all wrong. All right? They obviously believed in more than just the first five books and the, all the Old Covenant, and it instructed them and, t and taught them that Jerusalem was to be the center of worship, that the sacrificial system that Moses prescribed was the way in which they would come before God and confess their sins and find forgiveness, and, and that it was there on Jerusalem in the temple where true worship took place. And then as the synagogues began to develop throughout, throughout the countryside, it was there that, that the truths of God would be taught. So there's this ongoing war between worship, whose worship is right, whose worship is correct. And Jesus will say, he does say to her in just a second, as we'll see, he'll say, yeah, you're right, um, Woman, uh, there is this distinction between the two, but where the Jews worship, that is genuine worship because I come, I'm the Messiah, I'm going to come from, from this Jewish side of worship. But he really doesn't get down and deep and dirty in the worship wars. He really doesn't um, try and call her out. What he does is he calls her up to a different understanding of worship, and it is this, that there would be a day in which the Holy Spirit of God, Jesus dies, he's resurrected, he goes to heaven, the Holy Spirit comes down, that the Holy Spirit of God that resides in every believer begins to direct and orchestrate worship inside hearts. And the Holy Spirit of God in the church begins to direct and orchestrates worship among the body of Christ. So that as individuals, whether on Mount Gerizim, whether they're in Jerusalem, whether they're in Greenville, South Carolina, whether they're in Boston, whether they're in Salt Lake City, whether they're at the, the ends of the earth, no matter where worship takes place, it is the Holy Spirit of God that is leading and orchestrating and directing worship that glorifies the Father through the Son, through the Gospel. And Jesus says, this day is an exciting day because you know what? You no longer are trapped. You no longer are trapped in worship has to be this way or the expression of worship has to be this way or it has to be this way. It has to have a certain style. It has to have a certain sound. It has to be in a certain room. The room has to be decorated a certain way. And isn't that what happens when we come to work? I mean, this is how we grow up. It's okay. It's okay to have those natural kind of inclinations and leanings towards a particular style. And, and we grow in those things. 
I love this morning some of the songs we sang at the 9 o'clock service. These are songs that I, I sang growing up, and there are certain songs that just pull up my heart. And they tug, and they move me in a certain way. But I can just as easily stand here with you and sing with you in this service, or I can go over to you in the modern service, and I can sing there. And by God's grace, I'm beginning to understand that the different forms and expressions of worship might change, but the true underpinnings of worship is this, that I encounter the living God and I submit to him. That's ultimately what matters. Not me. Okay, ready? Don't get mad at me. But Jesus said, worship changes. It's not in Mount Gerizim. It's not in Jerusalem. Jesus, read the book of Hebrews. You, you, read, the, read the first part of Hebrews, and here's what it'll tell you. Jews, you're struggling with your, in this understanding of who Jesus is. Guess what? All the worship systems and styles and structures and sacrifices are met in Christ. He is the one you worship. And here's what we have to understand, that worship is not about structure or system or sounds or styles. Worship is about confession and submission. Submission to the, to the Spirit of God as he leads us and he points to the Lamb of God. And that as worship moves throughout time, throughout history, as it changed from the days of the first community there in Jerusalem to today, all around the world where people are worshiping, understand this. If you want a picture, you want a snapshot of where we are going, where worship is going. I mean, you're alive on this earth for 60, 70, 80 years if you're really, really lucky, okay? That's not a long time compared to eternity and what will happen in Revelation chapter 5. Let me read it for you. <laughs> this is what's going to be happening in some form, in some fashion for eternity. As there's this throne and there are the elders. This picture here in, in Revelation chapter 5 of, of the elders falling down before the throne and saying to the Lamb of God, saying to Jesus, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open the scrolls, for you were slain, here's the gospel, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign in the earth. Guess what? One day, here is what the ultimate Worship experience will be like God at the center and people who don't look like you, who don't speak like you, who don't eat the same things as you right now are going to be right there as well. And you're going to be gathered around the throne with these people from nations and from, from all throughout history. I mean, think of this scene. And Jesus is at the center of all of this. And then, and then John says this, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voices of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands and thousands. That's a lot of angels. That's a lot of, that's a, that's a lot of singing that's a lot of shouting, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. He is worthy of every single one of those names. 
And I heard every every creature, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in it saying to him who sits on this throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Folks, there is your worship service right there. It's where we're headed. And it's forever. We're here for a few years. And what we do is a taste of what will happen then. When we bow before the throne forever and ever and ever. So why not? So why not submit to the Spirit's leading as he works in us, in you, in our church? I texted Kevin yesterday. And I said, Kevin, you've used a great example before. And I think it was Friday, maybe. I said, you, you've used this example before about what worship is. And, and the name, um, the English word worship comes from uh, where we get our word worthy. Worthy in worship. The Greek and Hebrew words are, are, are close. They're, they're, they're about the same. And it means to bow down. It means to just simply bow down. It's the sense of submission. So it's interesting in the translations, in the Hebrew, your your translations in your Bible, you'll have a word for worship, but the translators won't apply worship when someone bows down to another man. So like when when, when some person will, will, some authority will enter in and they bow down before them. They won't use the word worship. They might just use the word bow down. But when it comes to Jesus, and when it comes to God the Father, and they use the word worship, there's this sense of bowing down. There's this sense of vulnerability. There's this sense of abandonment. So I asked Kevin, remind me again of of the analogy that you used in the past, and I love it. It's when... um, A subject would go before the king, and they would bow down before the king. They would willingly get on their hands and on their knees. And they would bow, and they would put their nose and their face to the ground. I'll do it for you, okay? They put their nose and their face to the ground. And they had to show the nape of their neck. And they're saying to the king, I'm wholly abandoned to you. Either spare me or kill me. The nape of the neck. It's a beautiful picture. Is this what we experience or expect when we come to worship? When we come into this room, when you come to, your, to the study of God's word, is this what you Is there a sense of confession? He knows it all. Is there a sense of submission? I bow down because of who this person is and because of who I am. And at least the last thing, and we've got to hurry, response. Response. (laughs) There's got to be some sort of response. Confession, submission, bowing down, that's in the heart, that's in the mind, but then there's got to be some sort of, of working out what it is God is working in. For the woman at the well, 
Here's what Jesus says to her. He says, um, let's keep reading here. He, he, he bypasses the worship wars. He says the Spirit's coming. There'll be a time when you, you're going to submit to him. But then, uh, let's skip down to verse 23. He says this, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Here is the next line that kind of should knock your socks off, all right? For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Do you realize this? God is looking. God is looking. And he's longing. He's peering over heaven. In essence saying, who will worship me in this way? Who will come to me in this way? Who, who will approach me in this way? Because I long for them to do so. What way? In spirit and in truth. Help us, Jesus. Verse 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So Jesus, the spirit and this truth combination together. We've talked about the Holy Spirit coming, but, but Jesus says, listen, God, he explains this one, God doesn't have a body, but instead, he has sent his son. He has sent his son, who is the truth. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the, the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. But God says, I have revealed who I am. My love, my mercy, my compassion, my, my justice, my holiness. All of that is seen in Jesus. Jesus told his disciples, if you've seen me, you know who the Father is. So when Jesus comes, here's what God is saying. There he is. There he is. There, there I am in him, in Jesus. He is the truth. He is the one. Worship me by worshiping him. That is the truth. If you want to know how to worship, if you want to know who I am, if you want to know who you are, look at me in Jesus. There's the truth. But then it's done in spirit. It's done in spirit. It's the sense that as our souls are being transformed and opened, and as God by his spirit speaks to us, we no longer have to run out and purchase a bunch of sheep and purchase a bunch of lambs and drag them in here, and I'll have to get my apron on, and i have to, to get all bloody, and we don't have to do that anymore. There's something inside of you, your soul inside of you, that resonates with the Spirit of God. And as God begins to speak to you, you respond to Jesus, to the gospel, in order to be transformed, in order to be changed, so that you can respond to God. Now, how do you respond to him? We can respond in many different ways. For some of you, the response to God this morning is forgiveness, is confession, it's abandonment of your sin. For some of you this morning, you're discouraged. You're hurting. You're weighed down. You don't know how you're going to get out of bed tomorrow morning. For some of you, it's to hear God through Christ say to you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. How are you going to respond? For some of you, the response is enough. Enough playing games. Enough playing games with me or with other people. Be honest with me. Be honest with other people. Respond to them in love. Respond to them in confession. Respond to them in mercy as God through Christ has treated you in the gospel. 
I don't know what that response, tonight at seven o'clock, you get to come tonight and that response could be to open up your heart and to open up your mouth and God has moved in your life and moved in, in a way that is so unbelievable. You just want to praise him. Christ be all around. Christ be everything I see. But for those of you, for those of us who struggle from the day to day and who are hurting day to day, say that prayer, not as a prayer of there's no way out, but say it as a prayer that Christ is with me and I will worship him no matter what. Some of you need that. How you respond, I don't know. But worship is when you confess and you submit and you respond. Now the response is up to you. I read this morning this paragraph. And, and, and I'll close with this. And, and the challenge for all of us, here's, here's your challenge, is to individually come before God in worship. Individually come before him this, this you know, kind of legalistic mindset of um, I, have to, I have to have my daily quiet time in order to, look, look, relax. Come before the living almighty God on a regular basis on your hands and on your knees and with the word and open up your heart to the one who wants to transform and change you. For the father is seeking such to worship him. For a church, I, I, I would absolutely challenge every single one of you. Come, be here, be regular, commit. But not because we get angry when you're not here. Not because we're all just so tied into the numbers that we get all bent out of shape. Come here to worship him and be transformed and help this body unify together, love one another, and understand clearly. I'm going to run it up the flagpole here. We understand clearly that as we are changed as individuals, as we are changed as a body, and we encounter God and we give him glory and he gives us a mission, then we take the mission and we say, God, is this what you have for us? We long to be obedient to you, not because we have to, but because this is who Jesus is and this is what Jesus has done for me. And so therefore, God, whatever it takes to glorify you, this is what I'll do. And just like that woman, Samaritan woman, here's what she does. She leaves her pot and she runs into the city and she says, there's a man that knows everything. There's a man who's transformed my life. Will you come and meet him? I mean, her encounter with God produced a transformation to the point where she engaged the world in, a, in an unbelievable way. What happens here on Sunday morning should transform us to the point where we engage the world in an unbelievable way because we've been so moved by God's gospel in us. Here's this last paragraph, and then we'll close this morning. Expectant worship, what is it? It's not where men and women worship, but how. It's not what temple or building or room they worship in or how it's decorated, 
but whether they have entered into the presence of the throne room of God. It's not what we wear. It's not whether I wear a coat and a tie or whether I wear skinny jeans. I'm not wearing skinny jeans, right? It's not what you wear or what you don't wear. It's whether you come at 9 o'clock or at 10.30 clothed in sackcloth and ashes knowing that you are a sinner. But in worship, you exchange those clothes for the royal robes of a forgiven son and daughter of God. And you walk out clean. You walk out with new clothes on. You walk out forgiven. You walk out under mercy and under grace and under incredible, incredible good news that you are a son and daughter of God. That's what we need to be worried about wearing. It's not what we play or how loud we play it or how soft we play it, but whether our hearts are in tune with the Spirit of God speaking to me on the basis of who Jesus is and what he's done for me in the gospel and how the cross of the gospel forgives me and the empty tomb empowers me and the Holy Spirit lives in me for the sake of bringing glory to God. That's where our hearts should be. And if we get this value right, and we begin to not worry about styles and systems and structures and clothes and music and the preacher and all of those other things. If we get this one thing right, Jesus worshiping him, submitting, confessing, responding to him, there is no telling what could happen at Taylor's First Baptist Church. There's no telling what the Holy Spirit of God could do in moving among you, the incredible people of God. For the sake, let's run it up the flagpole, for the sake, not just of feeling good, not just for, hey, I loved worship time, that's great, that's good, I'm all for it. But for the sake of walking out of here saying, Jesus, how do I engage the world? <laughs> do you see why worship's important? For your soul for your home, for the mission. Let's pray about that right now. Father, there's so much in worship that we, it just blows my mind how much the scriptures point to it. You made Moses take off his shoes at the burning bush. Isaiah saw a vision and just cried out, woe is me. David in the, in the caves would call out and cry out to you, how long, O Lord, how long? But then he would turn around and say, it is good to be in your presence. The disciples, when they were in the presence of Jesus, fell down at his feet. Paul got knocked off of his horse. And he changed the world. Oh, Father, what I need more than anything is the presence of Almighty God and for me to confess and submit and respond. So, Lord, teach us. Holy Spirit, move in hearts right now. 
build your church, Jesus. Not because we have got it all figured out, and we don't. Not because we put together a mission and a set of values, that's fine. But build your church, Jesus, upon you and your gospel. And may we respond in worship and in praise and thanksgiving. May we find mercy and may we find hope. And may we find joy despite the circumstances in our worship. May we find Christ in how we speak and talk to one another. May we, may we find forgiveness and unity. It's only in the presence of, of Almighty God. And so we beg of it. Father, as you look down upon us, may we worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray this prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.